It is Tuesday, October 25th, and this is People Every Day. Hello, beautiful people. Janine Rubenstein back with you. And this week here at People, our focus is on kindness. Our kindness issue is hitting stands this Friday, and we're trying to shine a light on how important kindness is in the world, especially in the times we're living in. So stay tuned to hear about a very kind and groundbreaking new book out today penned by a truly fabulous queen. I'm also super excited to have Sean Patrick Thomas on the show with us today. I have loved him since Save the Last Dance, and today, He's here to talk about reuniting with Kerry Washington on the Hulu series Reasonable Doubt and what it was like bringing the story of Emmett Till to life in the acclaimed new film, Till. But before all that, we get into what today's appeal ruling means for Brittany Griner's future behind bars in Russia. It's so sad. All right, let's jump into what's making news on your timeline today. There are three things you can count on in this world. Taxes, uh, death, and a new development in the James Corden-Balthazar debacle. (laughs) I joke. But last night, Corden addressed the incident from behind his desk on The Late Late Show. Never complain, never explain is very much my motto. But as my dad pointed out to me on Saturday, he said, son, well, you did complain so you might need to explain. Um, Corden praised the staff at the Big Apple Eatery. I love it there. I love the food, the vibe, the service. If I lived in New York, I'd go every day on the proviso that, you know, they would let me in. So the late night host then recalled the initial ordeal that we've covered extensively on this show several times, as recently as yesterday, but included that his wife apparently has a food allergy. And that's why he was so upset that the order was wrong. Corden claimed his wife's food was brought out and made wrong three times. And it was that third time with the food allergy in mind that caused him to express his frustration to the staff. In the heat of the moment, I made, I made a sarcastic, rude comment, right, about cooking it myself. And it is a comment I deeply regret. He didn't specifically identify what the allergy was, but you may recall that his wife ordered an egg yolk only omelet. And it was reported that Corden was upset that there were some egg whites in the omelet. I didn't get up out of my seat. I didn't call anyone names or use derogatory language. I've been walking around thinking that I hadn't done anything wrong, right? But the truth is, like I have, I made a rude, co- rude comment, and it was wrong. It was, it was an unnecessary comment. It was ungracious to the server. Corden's view of events sounds much more toned down than what we initially learned from Balthazar owner Steve McNally, who claimed the Into the Woods actor was, quote, the most abusive customer to my Balthazar servers since the restaurant opened 25 years ago. Part of McNally's reasoning for banning Corden was because he claimed that Corden had a similar outburst at another restaurant of his years earlier. The Cat Star addressed that incident, too, saying that he did send something back in 2014 because he claimed it had a hair in it. Corden ended up having some fun with it, though, and read some internet comments on the show. When I become president of hell, I'm going to make super hell and put James Corden in it. (laughs) James Corden so hard. God, I hate carpool karaoke so much. I don't even sing to myself anymore. He concluded the roughly five-minute segment by apologizing once again and saying that next time he's in New York, he'd like to apologize to the Balthazar staff in person. It's great that we finally heard him share his side of what happened. I'm sure there are exaggerations and different interpretations on both sides, but like we've said all along, and say it with me now, be kind to your wait staff. Just to everyone, really, but our good service industry folks, for sure. 
Moving on to another story that continues to be just absolutely everywhere of late. Kanye West is continuing to face financial repercussions for his anti-Semitic comments. After being dropped from partnerships with Balenciaga and Gap uh, for echoing centuries-old hate speech, the Grammy winner boasted on the Drink Champs podcast earlier this month that his relationship with Adidas was unbreakable. After all, the Kanye Adidas Yeezys make billions of dollars every year. I could say anti-Semitic things and Adidas can't drop me. Now what? Now what? You know what I'm saying? So that's the position. That's the reason why when I was talking to Cube, I said, y'all gonna hold my ground. Well, the new workout plan artist is going to need a new income plan after Adidas officially severed ties with the rapper earlier today. As recently as this weekend, the German sportswear giant dropped their latest Yeezy sneaker collaboration. But in a statement released today, the company said they will no longer be working with Ye at all, noting that Adidas, quote, does not tolerate anti-Semitism and any other sort of hate speech. The statement said that West's comments, quote, violated their company's values, which is why, quote, after a thorough review, the company has taken the decision to terminate the partnership with Ye immediately in production of Yeezy branded products and stop all payments to Ye and his companies. Adidas will stop the Adidas Yeezy business with immediate effect. This is no small action, you guys. Reports estimated that the Yeezy sneakers bring in up to $2 billion a year, or close to 10% of the company's annual revenue. As a result of this partnership dissolving, West is no longer listed on the Forbes billionaires list. Over the weekend in Los Angeles, banners were unfurled on a 405 freeway overpass by neo-Nazis that featured anti-Semitic signs and referenced West with the words, Kanye is right about the Jews. Like yesterday's guest, People's Michelle Tauber stated, this whole thing is very complicated and scary, but the one thing that is clear, words have meaning and consequences. Seeing people support this hateful rhetoric is horrifying, but now that Ye is being hit in the bank account, hopefully this will serve as a wake-up call. And now we are shifting gears here as we turn our attention to the devastating news surrounding Brittany Griner's appeal. This morning, we got the devastating news that Brittany Griner lost her appeal to shorten her prison sentence in Russia. As we know, the WNBA star was arrested back in February for possession of vape cartridges containing hash oil. Brittany was given nine years in prison, something a Russian court upheld today. While the news is beyond heartbreaking, it is unfortunately not surprising. So joining me now to discuss what we know is politics and culture commentator, ESPN special correspondent, and friend of of the podcast, Angela Rye. Hey, Angela, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much. I appreciate being here. Well, when you saw the news today, first thing this morning, uh, what immediately came to mind for you and how are you feeling? I just felt so much pain and sympathy for her family. And the thing that I am feeling the most is frustration because this was the expected outcome. Russia's justice system, as we talked about on this podcast so many times, is so much different than our justice system. For me, the silver lining is that they were at least willing to give her credit for time served in pretrial detention. And so now it's not the full nine-year sentence. It is an eight-year sentence. That doesn't give me that much peace of mind because there's no reason why this superstar 
who has dedicated her life thus far to not only being a tremendous athlete and activist and humanitarian in the United States, but also in Russia, has also served Russia with her talents, should be punished in this way. Brittany was being punished more harshly because it was a week before Russia decided to to invade Ukraine. Brittany is being punished more harshly because she is a black woman who was wearing a Black Lives Matter shirt in the airport. Brittany is being more harshly punished because of her orientation. These are all things that we need to call Russia to the carpet on from a human rights standpoint. Well, I mean, we know both from talking with you and from Sherelle's interview with Gail King not too long ago that when the appeal is upheld, Brittany could be going to a Russian penal colony. So can you remind us what that is and what things could look like for Brittany now? I'm really grateful for is there's not been any timeline assigned for when that might happen. There are 35 penal colonies for women in Russia, some of them with harsher circumstances and environments than others. We do not know where she would end up. The other thing that I think is important to continue to call to people's attention is Vladimir Putin has called for compulsory military service. In Russia, if you are incarcerated, if you are in prison, you are automatically drafted into this compulsory military service. We don't want that for Brittany. And so what we have to remind this administration is that they've got to move swiftly. They need to be fighting for Brittany like they would for a sibling, for another loved one. I do want to thank you, Janine, and people, because you all have been relentless on this story, on telling it. It is so important. We cannot allow for Brittany's name to not be mentioned every single day. Thank God for people like Don Staley and Brianna Stewart who every single day are posting about Brittany. The WNBA Players Association under the leadership of my friend Terry Jackson, every single day, that's what we have to do. We cannot get tired. We cannot get hopeless. We have to continue to fight for her. It's just all so important. Remember you saying that she actually had to be sentenced for an exchange to kind of be able to take place. Could we still see a turnabout and that exchange take place that we've heard about? Yeah, the exchange is on the table. The challenges that we have right now are multifold. One is that when the United States initially put forth an offer, Russia counteroffered with someone who was imprisoned in Germany. And that, of course, is beyond the United States jurisdiction. Just last week, the United States asked Europe to arrest two Russian nationals in Europe, one in Italy and one in Germany. That has frustrated Russia. They've said that that makes things more difficult for Brittany. I think the United States is certainly under the impression that that would strengthen their negotiating hand, their bargaining hand with Russia. Either way, we need to be applying pressure. We need the United States to be focused on getting Brittany back home. Joe Biden recently said that the only conversation he would have with Vladimir Putin at the G20 is about Brittany Griner. We'll make sure that he has to have that conversation with Vladimir Putin, right? And I will say one other silver lining that I've been comforted by is in this era where partisanship has gone to a whole other level in our nation's politics. For whatever reason with Brittany, she has bipartisan support to get back home. And so I think that this is low hanging fruit this should be something that is a win on every side. I mean, with those eight years, we would be looking at 2030. It's unthinkable. Like, I, I do not 
want that for Brittany. I don't want that for Sherelle. I don't want that for her nieces and nephews, for her sister, for her dad or mom. We cannot let that happen, not on our watch. Because if we let this happen on our watch, there will be another one. It might not be in Russia, but there will be somebody else held, wrongfully detained in another country because they will say that America does not have its citizens' backs. Could not agree more. And I am just so grateful to have you here with us uh, just sharing the details of this story and keeping us up to date with it. So thank you so much, Angela. Thank you. Thank you for doing this. Coming up, we are joined by the incredibly talented Sean Patrick Thomas. We hear him open up about reuniting and collaborating with Save the Last Dance co-star Kerry Washington on their new Hulu series, Reasonable Doubt. Plus, his new film, Till, is receiving a ton of critical praise and gaining some awards buzz ahead of its release this Friday. But first, with this week's focus on kindness, I am very excited for our next guest, Andrew Levitt, a.k.a. Nina West. RuPaul's Drag Race fans will recognize Nina from season 11, and she is the very first drag queen to write a children's book called The You Kind of Kind. You guys, I can't say enough great things about it. I read it to my kids, and they loved it. It's got heart and humor and just is full of, you know, you guessed it, kindness. (laughs) So meet us on the other side of the break as we sit down with the fabulous and kind Andrew Levitt, a.k.a. Nina West. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Nina West is the stage name of Andrew Levitt, who took the world by storm on the 11th season of RuPaul's Drag Race. Since then, Nina has been disrupting the entertainment industry in the best way by bringing her brand of drag to the mainstream masses. This includes currently starring as Edna Turnblad in the U.S. tour of the Tony Award-winning Hairspray, being part of the cast of the buzzed-about new Roku original movie, Weird, the Weird Al Yankovic story. I cannot wait to see that. And now, publishing a children's book. Her book is the first of its kind for children by a drag performer and comes at a time when kindness needs to be spread more than ever. So please join me in welcoming to the show, Andrew Levitt, aka Nina West. Andrew, we are so happy to have you on today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really honored to be here. Well, you are officially a children's book author. The You Kind of You is out today and you were gracious enough to send a copy to share with my children. My daughter, Ramey, loved it so much. She pulled it right off of her bookshelf. I didn't even have to like show it. She got it herself. <laughs> I have two things I want to know about the book. What made you decide it was the time to write this? Mm-hmm. How amazing is Miss Dolly Parton? Because she gave you a big old blessing on this book. So both of those things. To have Dolly's blessing, who I called, I call Dolly the queen of kindness. To have her support my book and have been supporting me in my career over these last couple of years has been really remarkable. And really, the reason I wrote the book was because they asked me. (laughs) (laughs) Three years ago, I was still, I had just been eliminated from RuPaul's Drag Race, and I was doing a tour of the United States with my season 11 sisters in support of the show. And 
I got a phone call from my manager at the time who said, Hey, we, there's a book agent who really wants to talk to you. They think this really makes sense. And I had just released a children's EP called Drag is Magic, which is a, like five songs for families and kids. And they'd heard it and they'd said, we think you should write a book. And I was like, oh gosh, this could be really wonderful. And it became this dream and this goal to really accomplish this. I love it. So explain really quickly the You Kind of Kind, like that title and what that means to you. It's all about knowing that each of us is an individual. Each of us is beautiful. Each of us is our own creation. We all possess our own brands of love and how we give love to one another, our own brands of sadness, how we experience things in the world. And we also experience these wonderful things of how we each individually can give kindness to the world. And so I really wanted to take an adventure through the book as we meet our small character, little Nina, as she goes throughout the day and how she gives kindness to the world. All right. Well, we have to talk about this other project of yours that everyone is talking about, Weird, the Weird Al Yankovic story, which is starring Daniel Radcliffe and Evan Rachel Wood coming out on November 4th on Roku. Are you kidding me? I mean, <laughs> it's another weird story. You know, I was on tour with Hairspray. It is a weird story. <laughs> it's it's weird. It's really weird. I was on tour with Hairspray. And I'm playing Edna Turnblad, which is a role that was originated by Divine in the original John Waters movie in 1988. I get a phone call from my agent. It's like, you're never going to believe what just came in for you. Do you want to go work on this top secret project for the Weird Al Yankovic story? And I was like, what? And then they sent me my offer and it was divine. It said divine, like on the top of my email. And I was like, they want me to play divine in the Weird Al Yankovic movie. And so it was just another like crossroads of weird, cool, weird, weird again. There it is. So when people get to watch weird and they get to celebrate Weird Al Yankovic and they get to see Daniel Radcliffe crush it as Al and they get to see Evan Rachel Wood as Madonna and Rain Wilson, they're going to be surprised at some of these fantastic, remarkable cameos. (laughs) Andrew, thank you so much for coming on the show today and for sharing just some of your shine with us. (laughs) Thank you. My next guest first had us eager to save the last dance thanks to his footwork and acting skills as the male lead on the hit movie back in 2001. And he has done so much since then. I'm talking about Sean Patrick Thomas, who's on a new series that is all the buzz on Hulu. He stars in Reasonable Doubt, a legal drama produced by Kerry Washington that has the audience on the edge of their seat week after week. And I am hooked. He also has an important new Oscar hopeful film under his belt, Till, opposite at Whoopi Goldberg and Daniel Deadweiler. It shines a light on the heartbreaking story of Emmett Till, which helped bolster much-needed conversation and action for civil rights in this country. Well, Sean is here now to take me into these powerful roles and his life now. Hi, Sean. Welcome back to the show. How's it going? I'm glad to be here. Well, in Reasonable Doubt, you play Brayden, a wealthy Black businessman who is married to Sarah, played by Brooke Lyons, who is white, and they share two small kids. But Brayden is in a sticky situation and the life he loves could get flipped upside down. I know it's a cliche for the successful black man to marry a white woman. But Sarah was with me when I only had a nickel to my name. She's a great wife, great mother. But you were in love with Kalisha. Yeah. So what attracted you to this role? Right off the bat was the chance to work with Carrie again. That's always been something that 
I was looking forward to it all those years after Say the Last Dance, but also the writing. The script that Ramla Muhammad wrote is just incredible. And she wrote a character that is just so multifaceted and, and so multi-layered. It was a great opportunity for me to get to do something that I've never really got a chance to do before. This character, he's got all kinds of things going on and all kinds of levels and motivations and, and energies that he brings to the table that require everything that I have to give as an actor. And it was an enormous challenge that I found very exciting. And you mentioned that Carrie Washington, you guys are reuniting in a sense with this. She's producing. Mm-hmm. What's it like actually on set working with her? How hands-on is she? I mean, Carrie just, she 100% knows what she's doing. So she's hands-on with everything. She's hands-on with, you know, telling the camera people what she wants. And, and in terms of, you know, the actors, uh, she was very, very detailed and specific about what she wanted from from me and, and, and from this character. She directed the pilot episode. She really was just invaluable to me in terms of nailing down who this character is and, and setting that foundation. Well, it goes without saying that Brayden is in, you know, a horrible predicament that, you know, a lot of Black men in America have been in, and that's being falsely accused, possibly, of crimes. So did you feel a sense of just personal responsibility or purpose in telling Brayden's story through this show? Absolutely. Whether it's a TV screen or the movie screen, I always feel like part of what I'm doing is to expand the whole world's vision of what a Black man is and who a Black man is and what a Black man can be. So... That's always my mission, regardless of the role. But with this particular show, what I loved to delve into was the fact that this guy has all the money in the world, all the influence in the world. And at the end of the day, he still gets treated in a way that's unfair and still gets treated in a way that is unequal to, I would say, your average white citizen. Well, there's a bit of a, a through line in your other role, just thematically, in speaking to what you're you're talking to there. You are on the big screen starring as Gene Mobley in Till, which is the true story of 14-year-old Emmett Till, who was gruesomely lynched in Mississippi based off of false claims. So tell me about your character and and how it impacted you personally to travel back in time to 1955 to bring Emmett's story to life in this way. I played Gene Mobley in Till, and Gene was Mamie Till's fiance slash boyfriend at the time that Emmett was kidnapped and killed. He was also a kind of a, a surrogate father to Emmett himself. He taught Emmett how to drive, took him shopping for clothes, they went to baseball games. So at the time that Emmett died, Gene Mobley really was Emmett's central father figure. What people generally know is about Mamie and about Emmett, as as well they should. But there are a lot of other people involved too. And I was very glad to be able to illuminate Gene's part in the story in terms of, you know, his family getting to see him reflected in the story. For me personally, what it meant to play the role was obviously what happened to Emmett Till is still happening now. When you look at what happened to Trayvon Martin, you know, when you look at, uh, you know, what happened to Ahmaud Arbery, race-based violence against Black men and women is still alive and well right now in 2022. Oh, I am just so excited for this movie and and what it's going to go on to do. I mean, it, it came out very recently, and I'm already seeing just, I, I think 
it was 100% Rotten Tomatoes. Like just That's what I saw. That's what I saw. I mean, I'm not going to argue with the tomatoes, you know? You can't argue with the Rotten Tomatoes at all. So powerful story. Also just amazing acting. Yes. Sean, well, thank you so much for coming on. And guys, you can catch him in Reasonable Doubt on Hulu. So good. Uh, new episodes on Monday. And then Till is in Select Theaters Now Run. Do not walk to go see that movie. It is out October 28th. Wow. Thanks so much for being here. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. All right, guys, this last story is something that will probably hit you smack dab in the feels or at the very least will be a little something to make you smile. When Chris Rosenloff was young, he got his girlfriend pregnant. It wasn't something they planned. Yeah, they were dating, but neither of them had any interest in marriage or being together long term. Chris said he would support his girlfriend and help raise their child the best he could. But as Chris told us at People, a few weeks later, she called me and told me she had decided to put the baby up for adoption. Chris wasn't there when his daughter was born because, as he shared with us, he thought if he saw his baby girl, it would be impossible to give her up. Chris went on to meet his wife and have three more children, but never gave up looking for his daughter. He sent DNA samples to the site myheritage.com a few years back. But even in doing so, the chances of eventually finding his daughter were slim. As Chris said, quote, there are several companies that offer DNA testing. And honestly, what was the likelihood that my daughter had even performed a DNA test, let alone done so through the same company I was using? Exactly. Like, what are the odds, Chris? Apparently pretty good. Three weeks later, Chris matched with someone and was shocked. He said, you can imagine my surprise that at the top of the list was a young woman who shared roughly 50% of my DNA with the relationship of daughter. The person on the other end of that match was Rachel Robertson, who has vivid memories of that August 2019 morning when she received a life-changing message. She said, quote, I literally screamed and threw my phone across the room, which startled my husband. <laughs> she then added, a couple of hours later, I managed to reply and we started emailing back and forth to get to know each other. After exchanging messages, the two met for lunch, something that Chris admitted he was terrified about. He said, was she going to be angry at me for giving her up for adoption? Did she have a good life? Did she even want to get to know me? Rachel turned out to be a sweet, loving soul, easily more scared than I was. Rachel was also unsure of how it would go. She said, quote, I was so excited, but so nervous. But once we started talking, we had so much in common. I had so much fun talking with him, even though I was still overwhelmed. Even then, Chris understood my anxiety and allowed me to go at my speed for everything. The father-daughter duo's families have since met. And surprisingly enough, Chris had met Rachel's husband at a Comic-Con convention two years earlier. Wild. Both the father and daughter are so thankful to have each other in their lives now. And what a beautiful story and the perfect way to end today's show. Thanks as always for pressing that download button once again. I'll see you back here tomorrow for more People Every Day. 